Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Amazing Grace, it is probably the most well-known and most often sung of all of the hymns of the church. This, it's gone beyond Christian circles. 200 years later, you know, it makes the top ten. <laughs> There's something about that song that resonates in each and every one of us, and I think it's because of this universal need that all of us share, that all humanity shares this universal need for grace. And it doesn't matter if you've ever made a mistake or, or broken a promise or maybe betrayed a trust or, or caused a hurt in somebody else. Every one of us knows what it's like firsthand to be in the need of grace and forgiveness. It's powerful stuff. Philip Yancey in this book, What's So Amazing About Grace, calls grace the, the, the last best word. Where all of these other words that have been used in the past to describe God's love have somehow been sullied, you know? We, we, the word charity, which li- literally just means love, has been, become something almost of derision. I don't want your charity. You know, we talk about righteousness and, and piety, and that we, automatically it's, you know, what we come up with in our minds is self-righteousness and pious people, as though it's something negative. But there's something about the word grace that just can't be sullied. <laughs> it's an incredibly powerful word. Because every one of us knows what it's like to be in need of grace. Grace was at the heart of Jesus' message in his life on this earth. It was the purpose of his mission. It was all about grace. And in every way that he taught, and in every way that he lived, and in every way that he interacted with other people, it was all about grace. Powerful stuff. And he wanted his people, he wanted his followers to understand what this grace looked like. And so he taught on it often. And he told stories and ways to convey what this grace looks like. In Luke chapter 7, on one occasion, he was invited to the house of a Pharisee for dinner. And in verse 36, we're told, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that, in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Well, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's an incredible story. And in the middle of that story, in that account, Jesus tells another story. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of grace. It's a story that conveys the incredible power that grace has in our own lives and as well as the lives of those around us. And I want to look at that this morning a little bit with you, if you wouldn't mind. The power of God's grace, because it's powerful stuff. You see, God's grace has the power to reveal our most hidden hearts. It has the power to, to expose those secrets that, that nobody else sees. And all of us have them. Every one of us in this room have those, those parts of ourselves that we keep hidden, that we don't want anyone else to see for fear that they would somehow not like us anymore. And so we keep these things covered up. We keep them hidden. We find ways to conceal them and, and to compensate for them. They might be past hurts or mistakes that you have made. They might be insecurities that you carry around. They might be habits or addictions that you struggle with. Or maybe thoughts that you have. Or attitudes that you carry towards other people. They might be weaknesses. They might be struggles. But every one of us in this room has a part of ourselves that we don't want anybody else to see. God's grace has this ability to penetrate all of those defenses. It might be a little thing. It might be a big thing. But God's grace goes to our hidden hearts. He wants us to be honest with ourselves. Now, in the spirit of revelation this morning, I want to share with you one of my deepest, darkest secrets. I am losing my hearing. Not a big thing to you, but it is to me. And it started in my right ear. It actually kind of started, I noticed it about six or seven years ago, that I was starting to not hear so well in my right ear. So I found ways to compensate for it, because I don't want to admit I have a weakness, right? So what I would do is, when I would have a conversation with somebody, I would just slightly turn my left ear towards them so I could hear better. It's a way I found to compensate for a loss of hearing. Now, the worst part is that in the last six months, my left ear is starting to go bad too. And that gets really embarrassing because I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're talking to me about something and I'm carrying on a conversation and I'm doing my best to listen and pay attention and to hear what they're saying. And somewhere along the line, usually in a conversation, they stop and they look at me. And I'm smiling and I'm nodding, "Uh uh-huh. Then I realize they have asked me a question. (laughs) And I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. i got to admit, I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Could you please repeat that? It's really embarrassing when you're in counseling situations, you know? Because usually when you're in a counseling situation, when people start revealing that hidden heart part of stuff, they get really, really soft. And it's really embarrassing when they've just exposed their deepest, darkest secrets to be able to say, Huh? (laughs) I didn't get that. I'm sorry. Could you please repeat that? Yeah, tell me your deepest, darkest secret again. A little bit louder now, okay? It's hard, you know? All of us have these things. They might be little things like loss of hearing. They might be bigger things. But the thing about God's grace is it makes us face up to our hearts. Those secret hidden parts of us. And the thing about it is the way that grace does that is with gentleness. 
You see, there was something about the way that Jesus lived his life that broke down people's defenses. Everything that he said, everything that he taught, every way that he lived, he practiced what Bill Hybels calls a radical inclusiveness. That wherever he went, people knew that he cared about them. That he would talk about the kingdom of God being available to everyone. And people would actually begin to think, maybe that means me. Maybe I could get in on this thing. That's what grace does. It breaks down the defenses. Jesus constantly associated with people that nobody else would associate with. He counted among his circle of friends the kinds of people that nobody else would call their friends. And it made the difference. Would you write this down on your outlines? Belonging precedes believing. Because for many, many people I have found in my experience, long before they're able to take that step of faith and trust God, they want to know, can they trust me? Belonging very often precedes believing. Jesus made people feel like they belonged because they really did to him. It wasn't something he pretended. It's the way that he lived his life. And because people felt like they could belong, they had the chance to find their belief. Now, to understand the story that Jesus tells here, you need to understand a little bit about the culture because every culture has its, its social mores, okay? Every culture has its rules of etiquette and politeness. You know, we have them in our society. When you go to somebody's house, there are polite ways that you are supposed to behave. You go to somebody's house for dinner, you don't sit there with your elbows on the table, okay? I have tried for years to teach this to my kids. Still not quite getting it, but we're, you know, we're working on it. You know, it's one of those things. There are certain ways that you are supposed to behave. There are certain established rules of etiquette. Now, in Jesus' time, in his culture, there were certain rules of established etiquette. He is a visiting rabbi in this town. And so one of the customs would be that the head rabbi or one of the, the chief teachers of the law would open up their home and invite the visiting rabbi to home after he has taught. And so that's what's happened here. Simon, who is a Pharisee in this town, invites Jesus to his home to eat. But he has started the form of politeness, but he has not carried it all the way through because there were other accept, accepted norms that he would be expected to do. One of them would be to provide for the foot washing of his guests. You see, because everybody in those days wore sandals and they walked on dusty roads and their feet would get ready. And it's kind of like now when you have your kids come to dinner, make sure you wash your hands before you eat. Well, in Jesus' day, you washed your feet before you ate. And so when a guest would come into your home, the very first thing that you would do would, if they were somebody of higher stature or higher um, uh, level of, of uh, authority or, or higher up culturally, then you would wash their feet. It would be a sign of acceptance and welcome in your home. If they were an equal, a peer of yours, then maybe you would have, if you had a servant, you would have the servant wash their feet. Or at the very least, whoever it was you had in your home, you would provide a basin of water so they could wash their own feet. Okay? That would be established custom. And Jesus comes into this home, but he's not offered that. The other thing that would happen is that you would always greet someone with a kiss. It would be the way that we greet with a handshake today. Okay? Someone comes to your home now, you shake their hand, you welcome them in. It says, I acknowledge that you are entering my home. And so if this was someone of, of equal status, you know, you would give them a kiss on the cheek. A good friend, you would kiss both cheeks. If it was somebody higher up than you, you would kiss their hand. But somehow they would be greeted with a kiss. And yet Jesus comes into Simon's home and he's not greeted with a kiss. This is the height of rudeness. This is like saying, 
yeah, you can come in, but I'm not going to acknowledge that you're really here. And if it was really someone of importance, you would also provide a chance for them to kind of freshen up. And, and a little bit of olive oil in the hair so you could comb it back and get it out of your face because, you know, you've been traveling all day. And it would be kind of a way of just grooming and coming together for dinner. And so all of these things are expected to happen, and yet none of them do. Jesus comes into this home, and he's, not, he's, he's invited, but he's not really welcomed. He's not really made a part of the meal. And so they're sitting down at meal. They're reclining at the table, which, again, in Jesus' day, is not sitting in chairs at the table. It's a very low table, and they're laying on cushions, probably on one elbow, eating with the other hand, and with the feet you know, sticking out away from the table, away from them. And that's the setting, that in the middle of this meal, as they're reclining at the table, the tension is kind of thick here. Because everybody there knows the visiting rabbi Jesus has been invited, but everybody sees the way he's being treated. And in walks this woman into the courtyard, around the table, and it says she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. What she is doing are the very things that Simon was supposed to do. And in this incredible act of gratitude and grace, she's opening up her heart. That's what's happening here. This is a woman of ill repute. But she has heard this rabbi named Jesus talk about the kingdom of God being available to everyone. And she begins to think, could that be me? Is it possible that the kingdom of God is available to me? That Jesus talks about the love and the forgiveness of God. And she begins to think, I might be able to be forgiven. And she is so touched by his message and the way that he has interacted with her that she shows up at this meal. She dares to intrude on what's going on in this, in this meal. And she just sits quietly off to the side behind him. But her heart has been softened and opened and revealed. And it's revealed through her tears. Tears maybe of shame and regret, sadness of a life wasted. Tears of love, gratitude, that now there's a chance to change. Tears of an expression of a love that she cannot express any other way. Her heart is pouring out. Her heart has been revealed by the grace of God. And the setting also reveals Simon's heart. Because Simon sees what's going on. And all he has is indignation. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. You see, in this act of grace, her heart has been revealed, but so has Simon's heart. See, Simon's heart is filled with pride. Simon's heart is filled with self-righteousness. Simon's heart is filled with judgmentalism. And he's making a judgment about this woman and he's making a judgment about this rabbi because he stands above it all. And see, this man wasn't worth coming into my home and providing a wash basin for. Yeah, I did what I was supposed to do, but not to the full extent. I did the bare minimum. And what he doesn't understand is it's revealed his heart. His heart has been revealed. 
Jesus says to him, you did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Simon, don't you see what's going on? Don't you see it? Not only has she poured out her heart, but she's revealed your heart. And he says to her, Simon, I got something to tell you. Tell me, Rabbi. Tell me, teacher. And then he tells this story. See, not only does grace reveal our hidden hearts, but our gra- God's grace also gives us the chance to rewrite our story. To rewrite our life story. See, whatever your past, whatever those hidden secrets, whatever those parts of yourselves that you won't show to anybody else, God sees and God loves no matter what. Everyone in that room knows this woman's story. See, they're all watching her. She's got a reputation. Not only everybody in this room, everybody in the whole town knows this woman. She has got a reputation. Series of bad choices in life. A series of tremendous mistakes. She has a reputation. More than likely, a prostitute. And they all know her story. And they're all making judgments about her story. The thing is, they don't know the whole story. Because the rest of the story of this person is that this woman is somebody's daughter. This woman is somebody's sister. Somehow, something happened in her life that led her to this point. Nobody's paying attention to that. Because, you see, nobody goes out intending to live a life like this. But along the way, she's made mistakes. However it happened, nobody's paying attention to that part of the story. They've already made up their minds. They know her story. And the saddest part of all is, nobody thinks her story's ever going to change. That's what Simon says. If he only knew, if he was a prophet, he would know what type of woman she is. That's who she is. She's never going to change. Nobody sees how her story could ever change, but Jesus does. And that's why he tells the other story. Two men owed money to a money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Jesus tells the story because he wants Simon to understand something about his grace. It says two men owed money to a moneylender. Now, a moneylender in Jesus' time is our modern-day equivalent to a loan shark, okay? This is the guy that loans out money at a high interest rate, okay? This is the loan shark named Guido, you know, that if you don't pay back, he sends out Luca and Paulie, you know, to make a collection, okay? That's the kind of setting this is. Jesus is telling this story about these two guys who have gotten themselves into bad straits. Because it's not a good thing to owe money to a loan shark. Okay? You only get in this situation unless you've done something bad. And they both find themselves... Now here is the illusion of the story. There are two different amounts. And one of the amounts is a small amount. The illusion is that this is a manageable debt. That yeah, if I work hard enough and, and, and pay attention to it and put in a few extra hours of overtime, I'll be able to pay it back. 
That's the illusion. But the truth of the matter is, neither of them can put, put, pay this month back. They both owe, and it says neither of them could repay it. They didn't have the resources to repay the debt. And the turning point in the story comes that when Paulie and Luca show up, they're not there to break his kneecaps. <laughs> they're there to forgive the debt. And Jesus asks, so, which of the two, which of them will love him more? Simon doesn't really want to answer the question. He stammers a little bit and he says, well, I suppose, I suppose the one who had the greater debt. Jesus says, you've answered rightly. You see, the thing with Simon, which is the same thing with every one of us, we have this illusion that we are little debt people. We have this illusion that my debt is not that big. Oh, yeah, you know, I make mistakes from time to time, but I'm a pretty decent person. God got a pretty good deal when he got hold of my life. And we all have this illusion that we are little debt people. We all have this illusion that we're the ones with the manageable debt. And if we just try a little bit harder, we can make it all right. But the truth of the matter is, every one of us are big debt people. That's what Simon did not understand. He thought the woman was the big debt person. And he was the little debt person. And Jesus said, that's what you don't understand, Simon. That he who has been forgiven little loves little. And what Simon didn't know, which is what he should have known, being a teacher of the law, being an expert in the law, being a Pharisee and a teacher and a rabbi, and being one who is absolutely given to the fulfillment of the law, he should have known the most basic of all of the commandments. Which is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he couldn't do that. There is no greater debt than the debt that Simon has, because he cannot love. And he thinks that he is a small debt person, and he is not. He is the big debt person. Because he has not learned how to love. And there is no greater sin than the sin that will not love, than the knee that will not bow, than the mouth that will not kiss, than the tears that will not cry. There is no greater debt than that. We are all big debt people. That's the point of the story. We are all big debt people. And Simon couldn't see that. He couldn't see that in the woman. He couldn't see it in himself. And he couldn't hear the message that Jesus was trying to proclaim. And because of that, he would not love. Now I want to drive this point home a little bit this morning. So I would like us all together in this room to repeat out loud, I am a big debt person. Alright, can you say that with me this morning? One, two, three. I am a big debt person. Okay, now say it like you really believe it. Okay? I am a big debt person. One more time so you make sure you got the message this morning. I am a big debt person. Each and every one of us. We are all big debt people. All of us. And it doesn't matter how small you think your debt is. It's huge. Because you can't repay it. The message of God's grace is the debt is canceled. You're set free. 
And I look around this room this morning and I see lives that have been transformed by that grace. And we're not perfect, but every one of us has a before and after story. We sang the song this morning that resonates in our hearts. Once I was blind, now I see. I was lost, now I'm found. That is the message of grace. That little refrain says it all. And the thing that we must always remember is that we are big debt people. That our lives have been transformed, not by our own doing, but by the grace of God. And we need to remember that. We need to remember the I once was part. So that we would remember but now part. To kind of help you do that this morning, I put it in your outline. The sentence, I once blank, but now blank. And I would like you, if you would this morning, to write down in the I once was what used to describe your life before you met the grace of God. To kind of help you, we put about 27 different suggestions up there. You might be able to find one. (laughs) We actually do this in our step out class so that people would be able to clearly tell their before and after story. So I want you to look at this list. Do any of these resonate with you? Not that you're perfect now, but just do any of those. Have you ever once worried or dealt with anxiety? I was guilty and ashamed. I used to struggle with anger. I was hot-tempered. I was once empty and purposeless, stressed and burned out, struggling with low self-esteem, insecure. I was once selfish and prideful. I once went through great grief. I once struggled in my marriage, had disappointment, lived a discontented life, struggled with addictions and habits, whatever they might be. There's 27. Pick one. Maybe you can pick two or three, but write it down. (laughs) Write it down this morning. What is your before story? Because if you don't remember that, you will never be able to love. We're big debt people. So I'm going to give you a minute. Write it down. You don't have to show it to anybody else. You can keep it folded up and hide it. I once. And then the good news. But now. A couple other suggestions up there for you. How has the grace of God transformed your life? That's your story. Anyone who has discovered the grace of God given freely through Jesus Christ has a story. I'll tell you mine. I once thought it was all about performance. I grew up a good portion of my life practicing religion, and I was good at it. I knew all the rules and regulations. I knew all the do's and don'ts. And I once thought that was what it was all about. I lived a good portion of my life having been raised in a Christian family, been raised in the church, and I don't know where I got it because I don't think it was something that my parents did intentionally or my church did intentionally, but I grew up performing for God, somehow thinking if I do enough, He's going to smile on me. So I learned my memory verses and I completed my Sunday school lessons and and I was the first one to answer the question when the teacher called on me and I had all the gold stars on my chart and I got the perfect attendance awards. I was good, if I do say so myself. 
But you know what? It was all about performance. It was nothing about grace. And then someday, one day, I learned none of that matters. Because the grace of God says, I love you no matter what. There's nothing you can do to make me love you any more than I already do. There's nothing you can do that can make me love you any less than I already do. I love you because of who you are. And that transformed my life. Because you see, along with my own performance, what came along with that was the performances I demanded of everybody around me. We all need to be good Christian boys and girls. And so it wasn't only my own performance I was demanding. I was demanding it of everybody else. But now, now I preach God's grace. It's the only message we have to offer, folks. It's life-changing. It's powerful. Yes, it reveals our hidden hearts. Yes, it can rewrite our life story. But there is one thing. There is one thing that grace cannot do. Grace cannot be kept to ourselves. That is the only thing that grace cannot do. It cannot be contained. It cannot be stored up and stockpiled. And that cannot be hoarded for my own private enjoyment. The very nature of grace demands that it be told, that it be extended, that it be passed along. And that's why Jesus told another story about forgiveness. It's in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a few hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had the mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Another story about debtors, but it's a little bit different. In the first story, both were forgiven. In this story, both were not. It's another story about grace. And the point of this story is grace is not something that you can possibly keep to yourself. You cannot. Because remember, we are big debt people. See, the, this guy owns not just a few hundred denarii. He owns Talents, tens of thousands of talents, modern day equivalent, it's in the millions of dollars. This is a hopeless debt. 
Okay? This is beyond any possibility of ever repaying. This is like when you went and signed on your mortgage and you looked at the loan payments, you know, and said at the end, whether you pay this off in 30 years, this is how much you actually really did pay for this house. Okay? It's that number times 100. All right? This is a number that will never be paid back. This is so hopeless that the only recourse that the owner, that the, that the king has is that he's going to sell off this man. Not only this man, but his wife. Not only him and his wife, but his children and everything that he owes and able to pay back the debt and that will not satisfy it. It is a hopeless debt. It is the biggest debt you could possibly imagine. And the king cancels the debt. This is an incredible story. In fact, the word cancel that is used there is not just forgiven. It is abandoned. It is let go with ever, ever having a thought that it ever existed ever before. It is the canceling of the debt that says, you've never really owed me a penny. It's all a gift. It's all yours. He is given a second chance. Not only is he given a second chance, he's given a second chance with a head start. Because he's allowed to keep everything that he already owns. He doesn't have to pay back some of it. He is set free. The man's life is literally in the hands of the king. His life, his family's life, and all that he owns. And the king lets it go. That's the forgiveness of God. That's the way God treats us big debt people. And the only appropriate response to that, the only appropriate response is to pass it on. It's the only way. But that servant went out and found one of the other servants that owed him a few dollars. So he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he said. Now understand, he's not going to collect on his debt so he can go back and pay the king. The king has forgiven the debt completely. There is no motive here. There is no reason. There is no outstanding debt that he still has to collect from to be able to pay back. It's been let go. The only thing that he is doing here is seeking revenge. That's all. And what Jesus is saying in this story is the only appropriate response to the grace of God in your life is that you extend it to somebody else. And I believe that it is the task and the mission of the church as a community and for every individual Christ follower to live out and speak out grace. It is the only debt we are left with, the debt of grace, the debt of love. And it's not something we should just talk about. It is something that we must live. David Siemens, noted Christian author and counselor, Wrote, many years ago I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional, emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. The failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness, and the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but it's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions. Jesus told these two stories so that we would understand the incredible power of God's grace. 
It has the power to reveal our hearts gently but firmly. It has the power to rewrite our life story. It also has the power to change somebody else's life. And we have got to do a better job of doing it. Because it's up to us to live graciously, to forgive the one who has harmed us and hurt us, to let go of resentment and bitterness, to live graciously with the members of our family, to live graciously with the checkout lady at Costco after you've been in line for half an hour, (laughs) to live graciously with the one who cuts you off on the freeway or seals your parking spot or your, your table at the coffee shop, to be a generous tipper to the person who waits on you, to allow others to go first. See, it's the everyday practices of grace that remind us I'm a big debt person and I've been forgiven and I live with big debt people who need forgiveness it's my prayer for this church that we be a place of grace not just talking about it not just preaching about it not just singing about it but living it Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, writes this. Grace comes free of charge to people who do not deserve it, and I am one of those people. I think back to who I was, resentful, wound tight with anger, a single hardened link in the long chain of ungrace learned from family and church. Now I am trying in my own small way to pipe the tune of grace. I do so because I know more surely than I know anything, that any pang of healing or forgiveness or goodness I have ever felt comes solely from the grace of God. And I yearn for the church to become a nourishing culture of that grace. Tomorrow evening, we're beginning a class called Just Walk Across the Room. And it's all about learning how to better live and share the grace of God. For the last three weeks, I've asked you at the bottom of your outline to list the names of three people in your life that need to hear that story. Three people in your life that need to know the grace of God. Not just by your words, but by your actions. I'm going to ask you again this morning, if you haven't done this already, maybe it's the same three names, but I want you to remember, these are people that I love. These are people that need to know there is a God who loves them. And pray for and live with and share with the grace of God in their lives. Would you bow your heads with me? It really is the only debt that we have. The debt of grace. God's grace has the power to reveal our hearts. To change our life story. It's the message that he proclaimed It's the message that he lived. It's the message he's told us to pass along. That the love and the mercy and forgiveness of God is available to everyone. And it's a message we dare not keep silent, folks. Because there is a world desperate to hear 
that whoever you are and whatever you've done, God's grace is for you. Jesus already paid a price. You can be forgiven. You can have a fresh start. It's the heart of the gospel. It's good news. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you're in one of those situations where there are hidden parts of your life, you're afraid for anybody else to see. But God knows it, and you do. And you need forgiveness. You need a change of heart. I'm going to invite you in a very simple prayer to acknowledge your need. Lord, you know my heart. You know what I need. And ask for his forgiveness and rewrite your story. Lord, make me new in you. And then whatever you do, share it with someone else. You're here this morning and you need to make that decision. And this is good news you've heard today and you want to be a part of it. I want to pray especially with you as we close. So everybody else has their eyes closed. I'm just going to ask you if you would look up just for a moment and catch my eye. Keep looking until I see you and acknowledge you. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Make this your prayer. Lord Jesus, you know the secret places of my heart, my struggles, my weaknesses, my thoughts, my attitudes. I need your forgiveness. I need your restoration power. I need you to rewrite my life story. I acknowledge my need. I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, change my life from the inside out. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.